Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we are talking to Sam Sherrington about osteopathy. Sam graduated from Western Sydney University in 2003 with a Master of Osteopathy. She has been providing osteopathic care to humans since 2004. And after deciding she wanted to also treat four-legged patients, Sam pursued a graduate diploma of animal chiropractic at RMIT, graduating in 2009. Sam has worked in both Ireland and Australia and currently runs her own business, Centaurus Osteopathy, helping to relieve pain and maximise performance for horses, riders, dogs and the occasional exotic critter for some variety. Hello, Sam. How are you? Very well, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad that we could finally make a time to chat. I know we've been battling different kids' various Mm. illnesses (laughs) this time of year. It's very challenging, but I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. You are our very first osteopath and we are really excited to talk to you all about your background, why you became an osteopath and what you actually provide for horses and dogs and also people. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's get into it. But before we get into the the main sort of um, gist of the conversation today, I'd love to just um, hear a little bit around um, you and your family and your life and how you became an osteopath. Perfect. Um, so I've always been obsessed with animals, um, from the time I was very, very small. Um, we were living in the city and apparently from the very first time that I heard, um, the police horse, um, hoofbeats coming up the the main road, I was running to the door trying to find my way out to them, um, which I succeeded (laughs) once with the the Labrador, um, in tow. And, um, apparently (laughs) the car that saw me as a, I think, according to the story, I was around two Saw the dog oh, first, goodness. so I owe my life to a Labrador. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so we moved to the Hawkesbury, um, which is where we are now um, when I was 10, mm-hmm. and um, that's when I got my first pony, and um, I think I'd had a few riding lessons before then just to confirm the interest. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, ever since there's been um, many, many animals um, in the life, I mm. um, now have Four horses, a dog, three cats. Um, kids are always trying to add extras. The youngest <laughs> wants a chihuahua and a wolfhound, both at the same time, oh, probably. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's animals of life, really. Um, yeah. Horses are probably the heart animal, but in fairness, um, there's always a collection. So, um, That's lovely. That, that is essentially um, the, life, the life we lead at the moment. Both my, my husband and I are self-employed, so it's mm-hmm. a, a busy life. We hope all the kids as well. So that's a bit of a wow. interest. Hats off. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it's 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 a good – I originally wanted to be a vet um, and mm-hmm. I don't think I really pulled my finger out soon enough as far as getting the marks to get into vet science. Um, it's very competitive. And um, the allied side of healthcare – yeah, seems like a, a nicer option to me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've been there in primary vet practice, and I mm-hmm. can safely say that it, yeah, mm. it is a high stress environment. And um, yeah. I know I don't know what it's like being an osteopath because I'm not one, but mm. I can imagine that it's um, a lot more 
predictable and sort of the yeah. um, less less of the emergency and at the beck and call of all of mm. your patients 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. Work-life yeah. balance is a much better arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> so, it sounds like yeah. it. It sounds like yeah. it. And so um, in 2017 you established your own service and you're Mm -hmm. treating horses, dogs and people. So that's very Mm -hmm. convenient for people who have their own issues Mm. and their pets have issues. Um, You're sort of a a one-man band. Um, (laughs) So tell us about what what drove you to start this business? I mean, you've sort of given us a little inkling there into, um, you know, your your natural interest in animals and the work-life balance. Um, But were you ever working for anyone else or did you always want to have your own business from the start? Um, so initially I studied human osteopathy, um, exclusively human. Um, okay. so, um, 2009, uh, eight, nine, I studied the postgraduate at that stage. It was a uh, graduate diploma of, um, veterinary chiropractic, no animal mm-hmm. chiropractic, sorry, it was the veterinary chiropractic association. Um, yeah. and since then the course to animal biomechanical medicine, um, which we can chat a bit more about as we go along. Um, yep. So from 2010 onwards is when I started. Um, I actually ran away to Ireland because I wasn't too sure how I was going to do a full, full six-day um, full-time practice filled with humans. So yeah. I headed over to Ireland for a while. Um, I think it would be about a year to you know, get rid of some humans <laughs> and Came back nearly eight years later, so that worked. Oh, goodness, um, wow. Eight years but, in Ireland, gosh. Yeah, so I ended up taking the Border Collie over and once I realised I was not coming back in a hurry, he came over and mm. lived out his days there with me. Um, oh, nice. And the husband had the children um, and then came back when the weather got a bit too dreary for me. So. Oh, right, <laughs> so you were married and had your children in Ireland. Got married over here um, because oh, okay. trying to... Trying to plan a wedding with Irish weather also, <laughs> not as easy as yeah. it would seem. Um, so we came back over and were married over here and then but the, the kids ah, were right. born over in Ireland and wow. we came back when the eldest was nearly four. Oh, wow. That's amazing so, for them. Yeah. A lovely um, start to the life. Mm, but, yeah, it was it was mostly horses and um, the, the riders that would actually prioritise their own health as well as their horses. Um, yeah. And, you know, typical animal people, we tend to spend our money on our animals before we spend it on ourselves. Um, yeah. <laughs> and a, a few a few dogs and cats and the random sheep and so forth all over there. And, <laughs> wow, a sheep, gosh. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know whether or not I actually did very much because it's very hard working through wool. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, surface palpation is harder. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then since being back in Australia, um, we got back end of 2017 um, mm-hmm. and I was just very, very fortunate through um, mutual um, mutual acquaintances to get in contact with um the owner of Canine Swim, which is just up the road from us, they are a hydrotherapy um, practice, and yeah. worked there for a little while um, out of their out of their buildings. Um, so that's that's probably when the dog side of things really started to ramp up um, and mm-hmm. take over. 
Mm-hmm. And now I work from, um, I've got a little home clinic. Um, mm. And we probably should have even started with this question, but just for those listening who aren't familiar with the treatment modality that is osteopathy, mm-hmm. can you please take yeah. us through what exactly it is? And something that I've always wondered is how it differs from chiropractics. And when would you recommend one over the other um, as a treatment modality or how do they fit together? It's always been something um, I've been curious about. When, when I first um, started looking into studying osteopathy, um, it, it was coming from a place I'd, I'd started a science degree and wasn't really finding the joy and then conveniently um, got glandular fever. So I'd taken some time off and mm. had just gotten an um, admin job in a chiropractic um, practice. So mm-hmm. looking at what I wanted to do from there, cause I really didn't want to go back to, um, the science degree. Um, mm. at that stage we'd been doing the life cycle of sea sponges and the other mm. thing I was looking at majoring in was psychology. And I had a moment of going, okay. sea sponges really don't need psychology. So this isn't working <laughs> for me. <laughs> so, um, I was looking into, um, chiropractic and, um, you know, looking at the chiropractic philosophy books and so forth and, um, you know, dealing with the day-to-day of, um, um, you know, working alongside the the chiropractor, so getting a a bit of an idea there. And it just happened to be the first year that osteopathy was being offered in New South Wales. Mm -hmm. So I looked at it in the UAC guide at that stage, the uni admissions guide, and um, thought, oh, that looks kind of interesting. I'll apply to that. Um, didn't really know exactly what I was getting myself in for, but very, very fortunately, I think, you know, it was one of the universe's little, um, little moments of glory or something because I absolutely love it. Um, and in hindsight now, knowing that, you know, only a very small bit about the chiropractic philosophy versus the osteopathic philosophy, I think I just, I find the, the osteopathic philosophy, clearly I am biased, um, just, that little, I don't know, that little bit more complete um, mm-hmm. from a from a practice point of view. That said, I think a lot of it these days comes down to the individual practi- practitioner. Um, oh, of course. And, you know, how there's, there's a huge amount of crossover. You get, you know, good and bad within any profession. Um, and I think the, the ability to sort of look at health as a um, – or a, a, an individual person, animal – um, you know, whoever's in front of you as a as a whole being and know that there's not really just one answer to getting them functioning as best as they can. Um, mm. So long and short of it, um, as far as the, the difference between osteo and chiropractic, um, I think a lot of it comes down to whether or not the practitioner has, has that broad, broadness of view and the range of skills for the individual. Mm. Um Osteopathy itself, as far as our philosophy goes, um, which is really what what guides our practice, comes um, down to you know a few principles that the body is a unit. Um, so you know you know you haven't got individual systems that are more important than any other. Um, structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. So if one's not working well, the other's not going to work well. Um, mm-hmm. the body possesses self-regulatory mechanisms. So bodies are designed to actually be able to, you know, achieve homeostasis. Um, if something you know goes awry, 
that's when you lose mm-hmm. capacity for homeostasis. Um, mm-hmm. And on the back of that, um, the body has the inherent capacity to defend and repair itself. So by achieving or getting as close to that homeostatic balance as possible, um, the defence and repair can happen as it's designed to. So mm-hmm. it's when when those factors are um, out of balance, so to speak, that you end up with dis-ease, as in, you know, mm-hmm. it can be just a dysfunction or it can progress all the way to, you know, what we commonly know as disease. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the – they're the guiding principles of osteopathy and so they're essentially what um, what guides us in the way we look at the body and we're looking for where um, the structure and the function aren't um, doing what they're supposed to how that affects not only the, um, the musculoskeletal side of things but also the nervous system, the fluid flow, whether that's, you know, neurovascular or um, lymphatic. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the, the grand scheme, that can affect not only the, the obvious musculoskeletal pain syndromes and movement disorders but also the way that the organs and um, the, the body as a whole can function. So mm-hmm. those ones, are, you know, are a little harder pr- to predict, but it isn't uncommon when you're working on something that, you know, seems to be quite pure musculoskeletal to then discover there's all these little quirky symptoms that fit into the same um, limitations of fluid flow or um, fascial connection. Or, so, yeah, it's, it's a very, very broad look at the yeah, way Yeah, it sounds it. I had no idea. I guess mm. because the the word osteopathy makes you think mm. of just the bones. bones. Yeah. It's a very, yeah, very it just makes you think of, you know, pathology of the bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in my um, mind I always associated it with just, you know, mm, working on the skeletal system. Structural, yeah. yeah. yeah but it's and, very I mean, holistic. It's, it's it's a funny thing at the moment. The the human osteo training is very much going down the um, evidence based practice only, which um, mm-hmm. you know the obviously evidence based is is a very very important thing. But when it comes to health, uh, which is ultimately what we're looking for, um, as opposed to just you know band aiding musculoskeletal things. Um, it's it's a it's a an area that there's a, a fair bit of contention at the moment as to the way that the teaching is happening in the osteo curriculum. Yeah, right. Lo- losing a lot of that um, the real original osteopathic thinking that um, it influences things that really um, are going to be very 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 difficult to objectify. <laughs> To measure, yeah. Um, yeah. How do you objectify health? <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So, so sort of yeah. the art of it is being replaced yes. a bit with the science. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that, a shame. That's one of the one of the the original. I remember writing an essay the first year of osteo. I think it was. Um, you know, the marrying the art and the science of osteopathy because mm. it is it's, it's science is crucial. Um, otherwise, you know all sorts of weird and wacky things can start to be, um, you know, being claimed. <laughs> but mm-hmm. there, there is there is definitely a, an art side to it, you know. So, yeah. And that's, I think, where the individual practitioner comes into it, you know, how yeah. um, whether they're just doing, they you know, the textbook says this, therefore we'll do this. And yeah. 
so many individual factors with each individual beastie. So yeah, that's absolutely. my perspective and I on it. At that, least. That would... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's so helpful. And I imagine that the art side of osteopathy, as we're calling it, would take time to develop. I mean, yeah. a new graduate, um, unless they're particularly gifted in this mm. area, I would imagine would have to rely more on the evidence and the science until they yes. developed the experience and the skills and that sort of yeah. refined touch and feel. Yeah, 100%. Um, which, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's super that's, helpful. Thank you. That's the that's the bit where you know the the safety side of um, training obviously um, mm. comes into it. You know, recognizing um, as they say, you know, you've got to know the rules to break the rules. Um, yep. And from a safety perspective, um, particularly, well, the human side is very well regulated. Um, possibly, you know, there's there's a bit of overregulation. <laughs> Um, yeah, from some of the for some of the allied um, practitioners, um, which you know probably is a swing back on the fact that there are people out there doing things they shouldn't be. But the yeah. the animal side of things is even trickier because there really isn't um, regulation for people working on animals. Um, mm. But we we have through um, our post grad course we. It's run by the Animal Biomechanical Professionals um, Association and mm-hmm. essentially it's, it's self-regulation. So, yeah, maintaining the, the professional, um, the primary practice registration um, mm. so that there is regulation behind each of us um, yes. and CPD requirements for continuing professional development. Um, but, you know, a- anyone... They, sh- they shouldn't be able to call themselves an osteopath or use the terms osteopath or chiropractor. But yeah. the, bo- the board, as far as the animal side of things goes, the, the um, APRA, the human side of thing regulation, they don't, yeah. they're, they're really not going to chase up on that. So, yeah. um, and then the vet boards for each individual state, um, it varies an awful lot as yeah. to what's constitute, yeah. what constitutes. Um, acts of veterinary practice and yeah. whether they're going to be bothered chasing up people who are, you know, not not quite doing the right thing. So, yeah, it's um, yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky Difficult. thing. And yeah. yeah, I don't think you're the only industry that is experiencing no. those issues. I know the naturopathy industry, mm-hmm. the human naturopathy industry, is in a similar yeah. position, and they're really gunning for. Um, you know, for board registration mm. so that there's more tightly, yeah. it's not so tightly regulated. Yeah. Yep. We'll get there it's, hopefully one day <laughs> with the process. right people. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, look, let's go on now, Sam, and um, chat about exactly um, sort of more practically what mm-hmm. you actually treat. So if we focus more on horses and dogs um, today, mm-hmm. then what are the main um, sort of conditions that you see and that you feel that osteopathy can really benefit? Um, so the the most common that I um, would be working on day to day for horses, um, reduced performance, um, cranky yeah. horses, horses yeah. that um, aren't interested in you know doing the job or are just generally um, unhappy in their work, um, mm-hmm. lamenesses that that's you know the vet workup hasn't managed to pinpoint exactly. Um, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out where they're coming from as well as helping to manage, you know, when there is a, a definite diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. making sure that 
the the body is best able to heal. So, you know, if there's a um, suspensory ligament injury, which is very, very common in um, performance horses, mm-hmm. making sure that the um, the articular um, function throughout the limb and up into the thoracic inlet um, as far as then arterial supply, venous drainage, lymphatics, um, making sure they're not overloading that one limb, which typically they are, mm-hmm. and that's why that one's the one that's gone. Um, yeah. So similar in uh, sporting dogs, uh, lamenesses that you can't quite put a finger on, um, I or, you know, reduced performance, show dogs that are, are not um, gating well, um, not mm-hmm. moving to the best of their ability or when they're, you know, stacking them aren't standing um, Yeah. Comfortably and straight. Um, a lot of growth um, man- management through growth spurts for younger, yeah, younger right. dogs. Okay. Um, when they're all out of proportion and, you know, still doing silly young dog things. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot yeah. of that. Um, yeah. And then the, the pets, you know, pet dogs get up to some really, really stupid stuff. Um, yeah, they do. Very, very poor life choices. And I have a whippet, um, mm, <laughs> an 18 month yeah. old whippet. Yep, poor life and choices. And she, mm. she's incredibly agile, but she mm-hmm. will, yeah, she will it's just completely turn her body inside out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the whippet is also on our, our list of that will be our next dog. So I'm with a Rottweiler. Oh, they're amazing. And um, yeah, the, the, whippet, the whippet is next. So this should be yeah. fun. Um, yeah, they're lots of fun. Help, helping um, unwind the things that they've done to themselves um, yeah. as well yeah. as helping to educate owners on uh, re- the, the the relatively simple things that you can put in place around your home to pre- or yeah, minimise, not necessarily prevent because dogs will be dogs, um, but to minimise the chance that they're going to end up completely um, creased. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So these are all sort of musculoskeletal related yeah. conditions by the sounds yeah. of it. And then any other conditions that you see or is there anything that you would not recommend osteopathy for? So they, the, the, those sorts of things would be the, the typical stuff that um, animals come in for, I think, largely because that's, that's as you say, you know, the, the general understanding of um, chiropractic, osteopathy, physio is about musculoskeletal stuff. Um, I then often end up um, discovering that, you know, the, the, the dogs, particularly dogs, um, horses to a certain degree as well, but they show it quite differently. Um, and in fairness, you know, I, I do find the same sort of stuff. Um, a lot of behavioural um, presentations will feed into yeah. either just straight pain or um, the autonomic nervous system is a really, really big part of where I find my practice heading um, and what mm. interests me, you know, humans and animals um, yeah. because it's it's huge, absolutely huge in um, the, the behavioural and you know, anxiety, stress presentations, yeah, yeah. behavioural um, – behavioural presentations that come off that aggression, um, fear, um, but also in feeding into those musculoskeletal conditions. So um, yeah. that typical, yeah. you know, autonomics being the fight, flight or the, the freeze, yeah. 
um, if they're in sympathetic or the parasympathetic where they're, you know, happy and relaxed and coping well, have very, very distinct postural patterns that go with them. So um, in addressing some of the postural patterns that seem to um, have come about for no particularly good reason in some cases, um, you then find that you're influencing the autonomics um, and Recently, I've sort of been doing a bit of a deep dive, a couple of different approaches to addressing those autonomics more directly. Um, mm. So it's it's really fascinating, but and that obviously then influences their their general health, how they're healing yeah, from of course. Um, yeah. surgeries, how they're moving day to day. So you know, if you're moving in a very sympathetic um, tone, your body doesn't have mm. the flexibility. So if you're an agility dog that is running on pure adrenaline and pure cortisol, um, Mm. you're much, much, much more likely to injure yourself because you haven't got that free flexibility. So your tissues become strained more readily. You're more likely to be going like a bat out of hell because you're running on adrenaline. Um, And it's this big feedback loop that you can't really separate one from the other. So, And that's the stuff that that absolutely drives me at the moment is that getting to that that deep um the way the the nervous system feeds into the um the performance side of things so um yeah well i mean yeah. there's a there's the gut brain axis there's the gut mm. skin axis there's oh. the, the gut bone axis i've recently been mm-hmm. reading about and maybe this is the the gut mm. um the gut muscle axis yeah. well, <laughs> i'm not the, the gut muscle axis it's a brain muscle axis sorry yeah the brain muscle and axis yeah the gut, the gut is a huge part of you know the um a good, you know, a good gut supplement would be um, top of the list um, or right up there with, you know, only, you know, sort of two or three things that I find um, allied on top of the, the manual therapy. Um, yeah, okay. Well, let's talk about those. Addressing the gut would be a very, very big one. Yeah, um, okay. So what sort of um, recommendations are you making, And you know, apart from the manual therapy that you're providing, um, overall total health, you're you're making some recommendations with nutrition supplementation. Are yep. you able to take us through some of your your faves? Yeah. Yep. So um, the big ones generally, if there's if there's signs of inflammation in the body, um, then diet is a huge one. Um, mm. How I mean, there's so much research out there in both the human and the animal world as far as you know how foods influence inflammation in the system. So mm-hmm. um, that that would be very, very sort of, you know, top of the list. Um, if there is the signs of inflammation, um, then generally gut health will be impacted. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll go through, you know, the, the typical signs, you know, the, um, the skin allergies, the um, – gastrointestinal signs, the, the very obvious ones, but also the, yeah. the behavioural stuff, you know, if they yeah. are. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Is the, the, the little bits and pieces. Um, so as far as supplements, um, I tend to like a good um, probiotic with also some of the um, gut healing type substances, glutamine, mm-hmm. apple pectin, slippery elm, depending on the animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, depending on whether they're tending to um, react by getting constipated or react by getting diarrhea or so little variations there. Um, mm-hmm. I do tend to, if, you know, something isn't 
um, responding to a fairly basic um, all-round type approach on the probiotic side of things, I will refer them off to um, allied practitioners who have more ex- more experience with yeah. um, the, the nutrition and the supplementation. Um, yeah. That wouldn't be my my specialty, but I think as a just as a day to day management, um, the gut is is huge, um, mm-hmm. and diet, you know, good real mm-hmm. food, you know, they they they're like us, they do better if the majority of their diet is real food. So yeah, obviously, 100%. you know, providing them with so you resources try and get them off the processed foods, feed in, yeah, to to start um, looking at what is going in the in the dog's mouth. Um, mm. For the horses, you know, they they are a little bit different. It's you know, getting them back to a, a species appropriate diet, basically. Yeah, um, just heaps so of fiber. <laughs> we we humans um, like to overcomplicate things, and then there's um, obviously. Um, Financial considerations from companies that like to feed in, feed you know profit off that. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah. Besides that, uh, household management would be a really big one. You know, yeah. knowing that majority of houses these days have slippery floors. Yeah. Um, just even you know, even if you're not willing to carpet the entire house, putting runners where animals um, will tend to. You know, there'll be typical places that you know if they hear something that's where they run wherever their racetracks yep. are um yep. <laughs> not not throwing balls up corridors with them skidding into walls makes yeah. for funny youtube but yeah keeps <laughs> me in business yeah. um nail care nail care is a big one yeah and, um very um i think they they particularly with the weather that um a lot of australia has had lately with softer ground they're not yeah. wearing very quickly and going no. to even going to the vet once a month for a trim isn't enough. Um, yeah. So yep. helping people no, I see that with our own nails. dog. Yeah. Do you recommend those little grippies um, for the end of the nails for some people? On, on occasions, yeah. If there's if yeah. there's neurological um, neurological um, symptoms and you know just getting trimming the the fluff off the underside of their feet giving them grippy surfaces in the house and getting their nails to an appropriate length hasn't changed things enough. Um, mm-hmm. The grippies can be very useful. There's other ones that, you know, little um, little relatively inexpensive boots of various sorts depending yes. on the size of the animal. Various ones work well. Um, but an awful lot of the time if you, get their, if you get their body moving well, the neurological function improves to a degree. Um, yeah. Some proprioceptive exercises, um, trim the fluff off their feet and manage the surfaces yeah. in the house. And yeah. a lot yeah. of them um, will do very, very well with that. So it's it's so really the, the very neurologically compromised ones that will actually keep boots on their feet anyway. Yep. <laughs> Otherwise, <Yeah. laughs> if they're sufficient sensation, they tend to take them off. Um, yeah, right. So, but yeah, there's there's lots of little little bits and pieces that, in and of themselves aren't huge, but will make a very, very big difference to um, either preventing or minimising the risk of, event, of, you know, events. An injury, um, yeah. Injuries um, or managing and allowing the the animal to actually heal from yes. um, an yep. injury. So, yeah. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. Weight management is huge. Oh, yeah, that should be first, <laughs> shouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Top of the list, that's right up there with diet. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I think if you're moving from a processed diet to a fresh food diet, then mm. already you're winning there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that yeah. a lot of people would see weight come off naturally just from yeah. changing, you know, the input of to. refined yeah. carbohydrates and, yeah. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah, no, it's nice to empower the pet parents at home to be able to mm. implement some of these changes and feel like they're really contributing to that animal's well-being and their healing yeah their healing process mm-hmm. um so I love hearing about sort of the the you know the take home or the at home care mm. that professionals recommend because I mean yeah. really you're seeing and actually I'd love to hear how often you see your patients sort of on a typical treatment course but mm. I mean you're seeing them far less than yeah. the pet parent at home and so it makes sense to really have them as you know um Mm. a huge part of that treatment plan yeah it is it's it's about um education so you know a lot of the time um within I try I tend to try to make everything as simple as possible for the majority of people because people are busy um you know they're the fact that they've actually gotten to the point where they're bringing their um you know particularly dog owners to an osteo um, or similar, uh, yeah. it's, they're, they're, they've gotten to a point where they just really, really desperately need some help because yeah, it's not, they it's really not care. first line of call. Um, and, no. you know, for a lot of it, most, most um, pet insurers at this stage, unless it's a vet referral, will dodge paying for allied um, care. So um, if you can get your vet to refer um, and you do see someone, always submit it to your health um, um, insurer because even if they don't, then at least they're starting to see that people are using these services and they are helping. Um, So, you know, just as an exercise in this is what we want from our pet insurance. Um, So, you know, I I try to make it that, the the owners can actually do as much as possible without having to spend you know um huge amount of mental or time effort um you know change the change the little things that they can and then um exercise you know make it as functional and easy to work into the daily routine as possible um yep. so that it actually gets done becomes part of the routine um, as opposed yeah. to, you know, oh, I haven't done it for Something a week, I better do a of. whole massive session. Um, yeah. And I find yeah. that when they do the day-to-day stuff and the animals move well, um, then it gives them a way to see when the animal's not moving well. So, you know, yeah. our Roddy, yeah. for example, seems to believe that she's half kangaroo, so at our back door, <laughs> which is glass, she oh, jumps yes. straight up in the too. air. Yes. Yes. It's a very, very stupid thing. So she's been on cruciate watch basically. But that's a lot of weight. Yeah. And yeah. I've kept her very, very lean as a result. She's be, always been at the, the lower end of healthy range. Um, mm. Point, You know, people go, oh, is she a crossbred? No, she's actually just not that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I genuinely think had she an extra kilo or two on her, um, I think perhaps she Something could have very given. easily have ruptured the cruciate. Um, but she stays lean. Um, I keep on top of the nails. She does, um, you know, half a dozen or so very simple position change exercises at mealtime while she's, you know, Mm -hmm. desperate for her food. Um, (laughs) and I'll notice with those, those position changes, if she's not, you know, quite as tight in her steps as she should be, 
Um, you know, if she's looking like, you know, when she squats for a wee, she's always offloading one. I know they need yep. to watch a little bit closer. Um, yep. Generally within, you know, three, four days of, you know, a couple of extra repetitions of those um, daily exercises and she'll be back to fine again. Um, yeah, just wow. running the body through healthy movement um, mm-hmm. and because she knows she gets paid for the straight ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. If yeah, if she's not doing them or she can't do them or she's slower doing them, then I know that there's that bit of a problem going on. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we just spend a little bit of extra time. She might get her extra um, supplements just to help calm down the inflammation. Um, yeah. And then she's so far, touch wood, where's some wood. Um, so far it, she'll be five in September. Um mm-hmm. We haven't had a full-on cruciate rupture, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> whereas one of her sisters has, <laughs> yeah, um, she yeah. is you know even more exuberant in her life choices. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it does it gives people a way of going. Okay, this is how the dog should be moving, um, and so you get you get that you know pre-warning that something's not right, and then a, a very, very easy way to give them, you know, a few days of run through those movements just with a little bit more consistency um, without that extra couple of um, with that extra couple of repetitions. If they're not improving, then that's when you consult back with your osteo or your, your vet. Um, yep. So Get it gives, it gives the owner some, some power to see, you know, and yeah. manage. Yeah, easily. and just encourages yep. that that attunement and that connection mm-hmm. um, between, you know, the pet parent and mm. the animal, which which really dogs love know, it. hopefully everyone should be so connected yeah. to their animals. Yep. But, um, and yeah, if no, they then lovely. do rupture a cruciate ligament, you've already got the movements that you need for the rehab. So <laughs> yeah, win-win. And already got a trained a trained dog mm. that's willing to. Yes. Yeah, yep. that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Really nice. Well, I know that we're getting close to time, Sam. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you for a lot longer, um, but I know that you're, you've are you got a busy day ahead, so I will let you go. But just before you head off, um, is there any online resources that you have that you would like to share mm-hmm. or any other sort of leaving advice um, for our listeners? Yep, absolutely. Um, so the Animal Biomechanical Professionals um, Association webpage, which is abmprof.com.au, um, there's a lot of awesome information on there and also a practitioner listing for everyone who's been through the um, oh, members who've been through the um, postgraduate course um, but also Wonderful. some good resources for both professionals and owners um, oh great my web- that sounds good my website is um, our osteo as in O-U-R osteo.com yep um, I've got a good few blog posts up on there as well. And then nice. Facebook, I update every so often. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the, it's um, the at Sam Sherrington Osteopath. Um, so Wonderful. They'd be, they'd be the spots to find out, um, find out you know, animal-specific um, ABM info. Great. Well, we'll make sure we put all of those resources in the show notes for today's episode. Thank Thank you again, Sam, for joining us. I've really enjoyed our chat and I've learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else has who's listening in too. Thank you very much for um, doing the podcast. It's an excellent resource. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you, Sam. This was the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. 
If you enjoyed our chat today with Sam, please feel free to share this episode and jump onto iTunes and give us a rating and review. 